Welcome to episode 79 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of Ruddy director J.J. Abrams. I'm your host, as usual. My name is Marcelo Nestosa, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be looking at Fringe Season 1, Episodes 2 and 3. The first episode up in that batch is the episode entitled... The same old story. So, Matt, with all that out of the way and done with, I have a question for you. Do you like pizza? Yes, absolutely. I don't necessarily uh, love what they do with the disgusting effects in this episode when I'm thinking about pizza. Because this episode is gross. It's a gross one. But it's written by... Uh, Jeff Pinkner, JJ, Bob, and Alex. So this is the the main team stepping up to the plate. The way that they came up with this story was somebody was sitting in the writer's room and said, Hey, JJ, remember that fucking movie you wrote where a guy went from 40 years old to 85 in about 15 minutes? And JJ's like, oh, yeah, Forever Young with Mel Gibson? They're like, yeah, let's just do that in Fringe. And that's what this episode is. So the whole time I was watching it, I was like, this is the fucking last 15 minutes of Forever Young put into a fringe episode context because as this episode opens, we see Betty Gilpin, who was then unknown, who went to star in Glow and was in The Hunt, which, of course, was written by... Lindelof and Nick Cuse. <laughs> so there is a connection there, which is very loose, but we got to shout it out. And so Betty Gilpin and some mysterious man have just had sex in a hotel room. And she goes from fine to giving birth and being dead in the course of like 40 minutes. And then of course we find out that the baby aged and died over the course of four hours. And they call in our buddies at, at fringe division so all of this was giving me big Forever Young meets Species 2 vibes. If anybody has seen the movie Species 2, an astronaut, something happens to him and he can impregnate women and they get to term in like a couple of hours in that movie as well. So that was what I was getting. But they put a nice weird spin on it. Now, the opening scene outside of that is the in case you missed the premiere episode we are going to give you an exposition dump because there's a meeting where Broyles is basically telling everything that happened in the premiere explaining who everyone is and he's doing like a slideshow and I'm like okay this is like that we're going to catch you up in case your friends watched the premiere and told you it was awesome and now you're tuning in um but on on the binge mode era that we live in that that like three to four minute scene i'm just like oh my god get on with it we don't care because it literally was just an exposition dump but all of this stuff with the the mystery and how they start weaving in these stories of other people experimenting in the fringe sciences and weird experiments that walter might be connected to or may not be was very interesting. So what did you think, Marcelo, as we're tracking this weird phenomena of this guy who he can knock people up and knock them dead by having them have a kid within a couple of hours? I really thought that the opening to this episode uh, 
was particularly well done. Jeff Pickner, who was the primary writer on this episode, took time to make us to make a character who essentially is a throwaway character in the character of um of um of the of the hooker. And he does it just by saying, oh, she's hungry and she wants to have some pizza. And then she goes on to the big giant soliloquy, right? And as she's doing this, this guy is in the bathroom playing with some with some chemicals and some needles and shit. So you know that things are not like they seem, but the sequence of her writhing in pain and then when he takes her to the hospital and he leaves her on the outside and the way that she just reacts, she she's screaming at the top of her lungs and she says, don't leave me. And the guy just runs off. When we go into the hospital and she, you know, and, and the doctors are wheeling her into the operating room and they go, how many months pregnant are you? And she says, pregnant? I'm not pregnant. What the hell are you talking about? And the entire scene in the OR is just horrific because, you know, you know, the doctors are trying to get control of her. She's writhing in pain and then something cracks in her body and she dies. And they cut it open and they pull out this horrific alien kind of looking it's disgusting to where one of the orderlies just screams in terror and we're you know brought back to our opening credits so i thought that opening scene was so well done in ramping up the horror aspect of this episode and i'm so happy that you brought up forever young because i thought that this episode was a much better job of telling the story of forever young ramped up in a horror fashion i love this episode because of that yeah, it definitely is horrific. And I do like this idea that this guy, it's his condition that he then passed on to the baby. And so he's got the medical stuff that he's injecting himself with to neutralize this condition. But obviously he didn't have enough for the baby. So I thought that was interesting that we do see this not only with that baby growing up, but then by the time this episode does end, the the main killer guy um who was on the run he ends up mel gibsoning as as well by the end because he doesn't have his his medicine anymore so i thought the main story that it's that and it's this you know cold case that they're sort of reevaluating was was interesting and i really liked but the smaller character moments that they start to sprinkle in to add the intrigue are the moments that really stand out. So I did like, there is a moment when Olivia and Walter have a quick talk and he says, I know you've read the file. So then you probably know the truth about Peter's medical history. And she said, there was nothing in there about Peter's medical history. And he says, Oh, I was, I was just going to tell us to keep it between us and not to say anything. And so then we're like, all right, what is Peter's medical history? What is what does this mean? And Walter wants to keep it hush-hush. So we know that there's something weird going on there. And then we have a couple of, of great classic Walter Bishop moments when Peter is springing into action late in the episode and the the woman on the table is having a heart attack after they have crashed this warehouse and there there's a chase and all that stuff. And he's like, Walter, this woman, mid-20s, having a cardiac event. What do I do? And Walter's like, do you have any cocaine? 
And Peter's like, no, I don't have any cocaine. Walter's like, well, that's too bad. I guess we're going to have to shock her. And it's like only, only Walter Bishop would say to his son, oh, it's too bad you don't have any cocaine. So I love moments like that that still, as things are super serious because we're dealing with this unsolved homicide and weird, disgusting, like David Fincher-esque mystery, we can still have moments of levity where Walter has those weird Walterisms that just add to the fun of what this show is. You mentioned that you didn't like the sort of briefing scene between Broyles and Nina Sharp and everybody else that was sitting around in that table. I really took it as not as a refresher of what happened in episode one, but I really liked that meeting of the cabal or, or the, or the figureheads of the people who know about the pattern. So I took it as an introduction to sort of meet them. But when, when you really look at it that way, unfortunately we never really see anybody besides Broyles and Nina Sharp uh, who are involved with the pattern. So everybody in that room who are sitting there listening to Broyles's uh, conference, we never see again. So I was so so I'm wondering, do you think that uh, the writers wanted to do wanted to do something more with the group of people that know about the pattern, or do you think that that they exclusively did that for the audience uh, for, for the audience members? who did not see episode one hundred percent. I think it's, they were just trying to fill in people who missed the first episode because this show, you know, TiVo and PVRs were a thing, but we still weren't in the, like, you're just going to sit down and binge a series era. It was somebody's tuning into this on a a weeknight and they might not have seen the other one. So we got to fill them in. So I just felt because later we have a meeting of Nina and Broyles, in the next episode where we, we talk more about this stuff. I felt like that was just a, especially its placement in the episode first after the cold open, I was like, yeah, this is just a, a fill in from what happened. I really like the scene where Olivia, after getting the call from Broyles at two o'clock in the morning, and I love the way that Broyles says, good morning to Olivia. He says, get up, be here in 20 minutes. I'm like, dude, it's two o'clock in the fucking morning. Not even a hello. What the hell? But, uh, you know, you know, Olivia was up anyway. But I love the thing where Peter, sort of getting ready to go, has to go into the closet because Walter's sleeping in the closet. And Walter goes, on, Walter goes on about this whole diatribe about how he had this friend in the mental institution who used to help him sleep by singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. And I really love those small, quirky moments between uh, Peter and Walter. Not only that one, but there's another one. Walter, just out of nowhere, remembers where he left his car after 17 years. And I'm like, okay, a guy who is supposedly whacked out of his mind, how does he remember all this fucking shit? I'm like, how does this work? When Walter opens up the, um, the storage unit to his car, he opens the car, and he takes out a bunch of shit out of the car, but he takes out a jar with a with a, with a hand in it. And I'm like, what the holy... F- whose hand is that? It's just those tiny, tiny moments that I really, really appreciated. When they sort of get a better idea of 
who this killer is and the fact that he is connected to a case that Olivia was working on with John. I thought that was a nice touch. But the thing that I really liked is when they tracked down uh, a doctor who was working on a version of this science experiment that Walter, you know, you know, postulated back in the day when they tracked this scientist down and when they had the meeting with him, I was like, there's no way that this guy is telling the truth. Did you think that this scientist guy was being truthful to Olivia and Peter when they spoke to him the first time? No. <laughs> and that's only probably because as a TV watcher, it would be very rare for that guy to be telling the truth. But I do love that. Yeah, this is a cold case with this killer that Olivia and John were working. We do get the information that near the top of the episode, Olivia says, I have to reevaluate all this work that I did with John because we don't know what side he was on and what he was doing. So I've got to go through all my old cases and take another look at it because there might be things we missed or that he misdirected us. And then we find when this guy Klaus Penrose comes in and he worked with Walter 20 years earlier on some weird experiments. And like you said, Walter's memory is so hit and miss that he can remember where he parked a car 17 years ago, but he doesn't even remember that they reopened his lab in a scene in this show. And so when Walter is trying to recall like what the experiments he was doing with this guy, we still are fuzzy on whether Walter can be trusted because his memory is spotty as hell. And we know he's done so many drugs and stuff that it's tough for us to take it at face value. But when this guy, they question him and he says, you know, oh yeah, I remember working with Walter and I regret what we were doing because it was morally wrong and we shouldn't have been doing it. In my mind, I'm kind of screaming like bullshit. Like, you know more than you're saying. Now, I didn't necessarily know that the thing that we are dealing with is that his son was actually the guy we're looking for. So that was a nice, interesting twist. And I just like how right now, since it's still early, we're finding threads to bring certain events of this pattern back to massive dynamic and Walter Bishop with like a very straight line that we are invested in Walter, but we're starting to wonder is he partly responsible for whatever is happening here and how directly responsible is he? And should we start to be questioning him? How crazy is this guy actually? So those are some questions that are still running through my mind. Are you trusting everything that Walter is saying at this point? Or do you think he's just whacked out or is there a bigger game that could be at play? Oh, hell no. Walter is the most unreliable narrator that I've ever seen in my life. Because like you said, Walter Walter can forget everything, but he remembers where he left something 17 years ago. So he, at this point, is a really unreliable narrator. But sometimes he has moments of lucidity where he says something like, oh, uh, uh, you know, just so you're aware... Uh, since you read the file on Peter's medical history, everything should be fine. I just want to put you at ease. And then you have Olivia going, what file? What, what, what's wrong with Peter? What kind of medical history? So you're like, wait a minute, what the, 
what the hell is this? Like, like the, the great thing about the way that the writers approached writing the character of Walter Bishop is that Walter Bishop is like a toddler. A toddler that has extreme moments of lucidity to where he can be the most dangerous toddler in the world and other moments where he's like a six-year-old when he's just, you know, playing with, uh, playing, playing with some mugs, transferring liquid from one cup to another. It's, it's, it's the most funniest thing ever, but on the other hand, it's the most unnerving thing that you could experience as an audience member because you really don't know what you're going to get out of a, you you really don't know what you can possibly get out of a character like this whether he's going to hug you or whether he's going to uh you know pull out your brain with a with, with a with a spatula for god's sakes <laughs> yeah absolutely the other thing i think that i i did really like is that i mentioned that this episode was gross and that opening sequence was gross and then they find that they might be able to recover the last image a victim saw if they get this device from Massive Dynamic. And so Olivia goes to Massive Dynamic, has a meeting with Nina Sharp to borrow this device. And Sharp wants to hire her and wants her to come work for them. So I thought that was interesting. But then they pull out the eyeball of the dead victim. And in gory detail, we just see the eyeball and the retina. And they use this device to then get the image and figure out where the killer is. And I just thought that that was really cool. Cause that's going off more of the stuff that we got in the premiere where people can talk to the dead or you can enter the mind of someone who's in a coma. And yes, you can do that. And also in this world that we're dealing with, we can check out what someone's last images they saw while they were alive were, by pulling out their eyeball and doing something to their retina. So I thought that was really cool and disturbing because that scene where they're pulling that eyeball out was just gross. You and me both, but it was awesome. It was really, really, really awesome. It was gross. It was unnecessary, but it was awesome. Also, it reminded me of that scene from Wild Wild West where uh, where Jim Gordon and 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 uh, Artie did the same thing. Right. Yeah. Um. But I wanted to ask you this. Is, does it bother you that everything that Walter has theorized other people and most notably, does it bother you that Massa Dynamic has a connection to all the shit that is happening uh, uh, that we've experienced in the show so far? And the thing that really bothers me is that Nina Sharp doesn't want to, doesn't want to take responsibility for these things that are happening that are linked back to her company. And I'm thinking about, um, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, look, Massive Dynamic is the most profitable company, is the most profitable company in this universe. But I'm like, what kind of fucking security that do you have in this fucking company that all this shit keeps happening come, that's coming from your company? So I'm, I'm, sitting there, I'm sitting there thinking, either you guys don't give a fucking crap about security or... You guys need to, you know, need to revamp your HR system for the people that you hire because I'm like, this company has more leaks than a goddamn boat. Yeah. So far, they are kind of painting Massive Dynamic as like some sort of evil empire because everything so far is leading back to them. And I like that, you know, Nina Sharp is sort of this 
friendly face of what we think could be this big evil entity because we don't know what is at stake here and what they are playing at. And as we are going to continue on, we will learn more about whether that's true or not and what Massive Dynamic is actually up to. The Observer is in this episode twice. So when they are at the hospital, um, when Olivia and Broyles are there and they're going to see the body, the Observer is standing at a hospital desk. And then he again shows up in the dance club where the killer gets um, his other victim. We do see the bald head of the Observer from behind. So if you are tracking the Observer, he's still showing up. He's still in all these episodes. And then, of course, the weird ending, we get that nice scene with Peter and Walter when Walter is trying to go to sleep. And then we cut to three people in a a weird laboratory hospital sort of setting, and they all look like the killer that we just saw age out and die. Um, so we know that maybe that guy can return if they want him to, but also something else other than just this weird aging experiment is happening because there appear to be three clones of the killer at the very end of this episode, which was a nice what the hell to end us on uh, for this episode. We move on to the second episode that we're going to talk about this week entitled The Ghost Network. Written by David Goodman and your buddy Roberto Orsi. Directed by Alex Graves, who did a bunch of alias and is definitely one of the the stock directors that we we get when we do these bad robot shows. And I love that this episode, as it goes, and it is about, overall, the mystery is this weird bus gets a terrorist attack happens, and it's not a normal terrorist attack. Everyone in the bus gets frozen in, like, amber like a mosquito in Jurassic Park. And they have to find out why that happened. But also, there's a guy who can see these events before they happen. And he draws these creepy, you know, like a kid in a horror movie drawings. And they discover that he's actually been able to predict tons of different horrible events before they happen. And we have to figure out why, how he knows what's going to happen And of course, it all comes back to good old Walter Bishop fucking around when he shouldn't have been back in the day. But before we get into all that, we get John Scott's funeral. And this is a nice scene where we're able to recalibrate, you know, Olivia is still mourning the loss of this guy, but the betrayal is so huge that she's not sure how to deal with it. And her and Charlie have a nice talk where she says, like, I'm struggling because, you know, he told me he loved me. And Charlie says, yeah, he said the same thing to me. Like, we were all so tight. So I understand what you're going through, even if you feel like no one does. And they've got that weird dynamic that we're trying to still figure out what John was doing. Because... We just aren't sure if we can trust anything or how concerned we should be that things weren't right. So I do like that they reintroduce that almost off the top, shortly after the bus. And then we go from there to Walter and Peter 
having breakfast at a diner. And this is a great scene because we do learn in that scene, someone is following Peter and taking pictures and Peter threatens the guy and says like, look, back off. If you guys come after me, I will come after you. So we know there's more going on with Peter's backstory than we have gotten the full picture on. So now we've gotten a lot of breadcrumbs about that. But also when he's talking to Walter, Walter has some of those weird moments where he doesn't quite remember things. And Peter's like, you remember this is what's going on. And, uh, and then he sees my favorite moment of the episode is Walter starts putting stuff into his drink. And Peter goes, did you bring your own sweetener? And he goes, don't be ridiculous. It's my medication. And he goes, but you're not on any medication. And he goes, of course I am. I've been making it in my lab. And Peter's like, oh my God, I wish you were joking right now. But like, I know you're not like, what is he taking? And I just love that Walter is always doing something so weird and he just loves his drugs. I loved the fact that you mentioned that scene because Walter seems like a person that would be a prime candidate for medication. But not to not to take a funny scene and turn it serious, but just hang hang with me for a second here. He when when he mentions he's self, you know, you know when 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 Peter figures out that Walter is self-medicating, Walter says that it's a cocktail of antipsychotics or Peter indicates that is that it is a cocktail of antipsychotics. So I'm wondering, does Walter know that he's not operating with a full basket? And if so, is he taking steps to get more stable as to, to get his mind more stable? What do you think about that? Possibly. So we also wonder, is that what it actually is? Or is it some sort of psychedelics mixed in with that? Because we know that Walter loves LSD so much, but I do think if he is trying to maybe stabilize so that he can actually be of help, then it would make sense that it would be antipsychotics. But who who knows when we're dealing with Walter Bishop, man? I, I'm inclined to think that that's some trippy crap that he's taken. Like I said in the last episode, Walter is extremely unpredictable. But you mentioned John Scott's funeral. And the scene that I, the, the thing that I love about that is in the two episodes that we've talked through for this week, we see that Olivia is still really unsure about her entire relationship with John Scott. And she's really trying to piece it together and she's really trying to understand why he did what he did and whether, and whether or not he was a traitor or not. I think that she's trying to balance the feelings that, he, that she might still have for him between the balance of understanding that he was a traitor or he was a traitor on the surface. So what did you think about her standing at the funeral and John's mother keep, you know, you know, looking at her constantly and, and Olivia not, you know, you know, not walking away or not turning her gaze. What do you think about that specific little, uh, little touch the, to, to that scene that they added. It was good. It did add to the awkwardness of the whole thing. And again, that internal struggle that Olivia is dealing with where this was a man that she loved, but now she can't trust anything that happened between them. So even, you know, wanting to talk to his mother and maybe be sympathetic or find out if his mother knew anything 
that would be helpful, but all they can do is kind of have these looks rather than cross that line because it could be too painful or could tip the cards too much when you aren't sure who knows what. So I thought that was really interesting. And then in the episode, as they are working on this bus thing, they identify the one body and realize that this woman is missing a bag and they call in an agent from the DEA who worked with her. And this dude shows up and he's all broken up and he's like, I need to see the body. And, uh, this guy would go on to play a character on the show younger. He was on that as Charles for eight seasons. That show just ended fun show, terrible ending. But so he shows up here and the moment he's like, can I have a moment with the body? And Olivia's like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, no, of course not. There is no way he's just going to have some sort of peaceful, meaningful goodbye. And he touches the body's hand and he's caressing the arm. And I'm like, fuck you. We all like they leave. And that's the end of that scene. And I'm like, no, anybody who knows these shows knows that is coming back at some point. So later when they do have, they've tracked down the guy who's been drawing the drawings played by Zach Orth, who is a great character actor who has shown up on tons of shows. Um, he's actually friends with my cousin from her time living in New York. So he's a local New York guy and he was on Eric Kripke's uh, revolution. So he's, he's a good working actor and he, he is tapping into the ghost network because Walter realizes I experimented on this kid as a child and maybe my experiments have caused his brain to be rewired so that he could tap into this supernatural pathway that people use for communication. And you're just like, Oh my God, Walter, you're at it again. But luckily he remembers enough and he says, okay, if that's what's happening, we can use this guy like a radio. We can change his premonition drawings and tilt the frequency so that maybe he can actually hear what they're saying rather than just visually interpret what they're saying. And then we can use that to listen in and hopefully stop their next attack and figure stuff out. So I love that. Again, this is another thing that comes back to Walter Bishop and the shit he was doing when he shouldn't have been doing weird shit back in the day. And the ramifications of his experiment have exceeded where he thought they would go. Because he didn't think that that would happen to this guy based on what he did. But he's finding out that if you leave it unchecked or if other people intervened, that could happen. So one of the best moments is when Walter says, we need this device and it's in our old, old house. So Peter and Olivia have to go to the house that the bishops used to live in to retrieve it. And I love seeing Peter and Olivia go there. And Peter's kind of reliving stuff and we get a lot of backstory and they, they find the device and they bring it back. And Walter's like, how was the house? How was Rufus? And Peter's like, well, the house is just as we left it, but we put Rufus to sleep 20 years ago. And Walter's like, oh, that's terrible news. And it's like, yeah, this guy's selective memory is killing me, but it's comedy gold. And then when they use that device, the scene where they are screwing it into Zach Orth's head 
is excruciating, but they break it up by right when we're about to twist the first screw into his forehead. After Walter said, ah, this shouldn't hurt. And you're like, oh yeah, right. This is going to kill. And then some grad students knock on the door looking for the wrong class. And then we jump back and we start the screwing. And as they're drilling into his skull, we keep a lot of it off camera, but the initial shot was going to be a full on disgusting, gruesome one before that knock on the door. So I really appreciated the way that they broke that sequence up to basically build up that they're going to do this really painful thing to this guy, then let the air out of the room with that laugh and then go back to the gruesome stuff. And of course he realizes that the agent that we, we knew all along was bad news has intervened and is going to meet some guys to exchange this weird thing that he took off the body. What were you thinking as we're getting these agents we can't trust and twists and turns? And what the hell did you make of the ghost network and what they're tapping into here? I'm thinking, like, is all of this connected to something that we're going to talk about way later? Or is this still case of the week, weird, funky shit? And I'm thinking... Okay, if these guys have a bigger purpose and if we're going to see them again, I would bet $100 that these guys or a company that these guys work for work for Master Dynamic because I do not like the way I mean I you know I said it briefly in the last episode that we talked that we talked about, but I do not like the the way that Massive Dynamic specifically Nina Sharp it's like she doesn't take responsibility for all the crazy shit that's happening because of her company's lack of security. So that really, for some reason, is pissing me off and is rubbing me the wrong way because it's almost like they don't have accountability. It's almost like they are tossing off their problems to Olivia. And that and, and the reason why they're being so forthcoming is because they know that everything that everything that is happening now is because of them and because of their lack of security and because of their need for innovation. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I think you're right that that lack of accountability is starting to become obvious and frustrating, but we still aren't sure because this episode, they do reference William Bell again and they let us know that there is some other mysterious figure at Massive Dynamic who is actually the top dog. So as we do get more information about Nina, we do somebody does say, who's William Bell? And they say, oh, he's actually, he's the guy. So I like that they remind us that this other person exists. But to what you're saying, when we're trying to figure out, do these agents, are they working for Massive Dynamic to begin with? And by the end of the episode where Broyles has that meeting with Nina and he gives her the disc and he says, I didn't want to go through channels. And they talk briefly about Olivia and how she's, why did you target her? And Nina's like, well, you know, her future looks bright or whatever she says. And we're like, okay, massive dynamic is really starting to seem like some sort of evil thing that is responsible for everything isn't owning up to it and has a weird secret agenda that somehow involves Olivia Dunham that we have no idea. We haven't even seen the tip of that iceberg yet. So I do like that that adds so much intrigue and mystery. 
And then, of course, we go from that to seeing inside Massive Dynamic, where they are still downloading John Scott's consciousness or whatever it is. And that's where the episode ends. And we see that they're they're getting close to, to finishing that progress on whatever they are doing to John Scott's body. And so now knowing that, yeah, that DEA agent probably worked for Massive Dynamic. John Scott probably worked with the people of Massive Dynamic. Who else is working with the people of Massive Dynamic? And why does Broyles have such a close relationship to Nina and Massive Dynamic? So there is that whole cloud looming over this whole thing. And even though it is still mystery of the week is the is like... 35 of the 45 minutes, they still inject that 10 minutes of serialized carryover that keeps you coming back and wanting to know more about these mysteries while making it accessible for people to jump in if they want. They could just enjoy this as a weird guy's drawing creepy drawings. Why is he doing that? But us who are watching week to week can notice when they're at the bus terminal and the observer is in there as they're tracking down that guy, we can go, Oh, look, there's, there's that guy again. I wonder what's going on with that. So I do think that right now the show is really in that groove where it is 90% mystery of the week, 10% the serialized, but that balance is definitely going to shift by the time we get into later episodes. But right now it's a good balance because it will let people find the show. The other thing that we haven't touched on yet, and I'm not going to touch on it here, but the connection that Nina Sharp has to William Bell and to someone else that we know. And when we find out what their relationship was potentially in the old days, we're like, wait a minute, Walter and this other, like, holy shit. When Walter, Peter, and everyone is in the lab trying to figure out what is the what is the deal with these ghost transmissions that this guy is having in there? And they are basically arguing the merit about going to get this guy. And I love the fact that Peter has a very, very positive reaction and she and he kind of puts his father on trial and he just shouts at his father and says, Everything that is happening now is because of your incompetence and your Lack, you know, your lack of not caring about the individuals that you do shit to, and you need to be accountable for that. So what did you think about Peter's reaction towards Walter when everybody was trying to figure out how to bring this guy in? Yeah, he calls him out for his reckless behavior. And I love Josh Jackson blows up in like a very short scene, but he's like, this is because of you Years ago, all of this is your fault. You did this to this guy. And Josh Jackson is just so captivating, especially when he gets angry like that and shows us a different side that we aren't used to seeing. It's really powerful and it it really brings the show back to earth for all of its weird sci-fi stuff that grounds it in the human. So I, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was, is one of the best moments when he says, like, you need to to realize that your actions have consequences and you can't be like massive dynamic is being right now where you aren't owning up to that. And even there is a moment where the guy recognizes Walter 
and says, like, why do I know you? You look familiar to me. And Walter doesn't own it. He doesn't own it at all. He doesn't tell him, well, it is because I'm a guy who did experiments on you. So I thought that it was interesting that, you know, Peter has that yell at him. And we wonder, is that going to change how Walter operates? But the scene where the guy recognizes him is after that. And he doesn't own it. He doesn't tell him. And even I kept waiting for like the moment where this guy is going to find out and have a freak out. And it doesn't come because Walter doesn't own up to it. (laughs) So I love that we see that Peter thinks that Walter needs to take responsibility. But ultimately, by the time this 42 minutes is over, he doesn't. Uh, Broyles' lack of transparency with Olivia Dunham in this episode, because there's one point where Olivia says, listen, if you want me to do, if you want me to do my job correctly, you have to tell me everything. Like, like you cannot, I cannot do my job properly unless you tell me anything. Do you think that the reason why Broyles still keeps secrets is not to have, is not to, is not to have zero accountability for the others but do you think that he's hiding the fact that he is in cahoots with Massive Dynamic and Nina Sharp? Yeah, I think he definitely is trying to keep connections close to the vest and doesn't want people to know. And also probably because he's still feeling out how much he can actually trust these people. Because as we saw two episodes ago, he hated Olivia Dunham. And now that he's working with her, he still probably is trepidatious about how much he can trust her and how much he should actually reveal without making people jump to conclusions that might not be true immediately because of the association with, like I said, I feel like right now Massive Dynamic is being portrayed as some sort of evil empire. And if you were to tell me you worked for them, it'll take a lot for me to understand and listen to hear your reasoning as to why you think that's a good idea. I think that'll do it for this edition of Radio 815. Before we go, if you guys like anything that we do here and you want to reach out to us for whatever reason, we are reachable on Twitter just by using the hashtag uh, Radio 815 or you can reach out to us on our personal Twitter. It's JJUniverse815. If you want to speak to me directly, you can also reach me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach out to you and talk to you about anything, what would be the best place for them to do that? On Twitter, at Matt Crandall. Just one more note. Um, If you want to catch up with old episodes of our show, I just want to make you aware that Radio 5 is now on YouTube. It's simply youtube.com slash Radio 5 And this past week, we actually uh, are completely caught up with our... Uh, uh, with our podcast. So all the episodes that I upload there uh, starting this coming Monday will be recent episodes of our show. So our entire back catalog is completely done and uh, there if you want to watch it if or if it's easier for you to watch us there, uh, we would appreciate a comment or subscribe or if you still want to do it the old-fashioned way, you can listen to you can listen to us on uh, pretty much all the podcast services that are out there right now. And uh, we thank you very much. But until next time, as always, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.